Father, you are a gracious, loving God. All creation rightly gives you praise. Thank you for looking upon your church in favor. Thank you for the blessings that you pour out to us. And even in those times where we seem to be dragging ourselves through the muck and the mire, you walk with us. You are our sure footing, our firm foundation. You are redemption. You are grace. And as we continue to Dig into your word this morning, God. I pray that you would continue to unpack and reveal who you are in the context of this world and in, in eternity. I pray that those here would feel your love and be reassured by the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Amen. All right. There we are, John 14, verses 1 through 3. We've been working through this verse in the context of the things that are going on in the world and through our Lent celebrations and as we get closer to our Easter celebration. It says this, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. As you watch the news, as you read the paper, as you hear conversations from young people and school children, you will see that the world has become a troubling place. And, and I don't mean that become because um, this is something new. It's always been kind of a troubling place. But with our communications the way they are, we just hear it all at the same time, all of the time. And Jesus' words to his disciples here are as relevant for us today as they were when he spoke them to them around the table. And he begins to unpack this idea for them. He says, listen, guys, I, I'm going away. I, I'm going to die. But don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And Jesus wants to quiet their hearts. He knows what's going on inside them. He knows that this is causing them pain. He knows that they're worried and they're anxious. And, and maybe they just they don't know what to do. But he, but he tells them, listen, there's, there's plenty of room in the presence of my Father. For all who believe, they will be in my Father's presence. And then he goes on to tell them that he's prepared a place for them there in the presence of the Lord. It's like Jesus made our reservation when he was nailed to the cross. That we can be in the presence of God. And it's in him and him alone that allows us the grace to come before the Lord reconciled and whole. He meets the standard of the law. He suffered the penalty of our sin 
which is death, death on the cross. And not only did he suffer that death, but he overcame it by rising from the dead. That we can have life, and life in fullness, and life in abundance. We can have life. Not only here today, but for eternity. And then we come to the third verse. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. This is a promise that Jesus is making. This is a promise that Jesus is making not only to his disciples, but to, but to all of us. He's saying, I'm leaving, but I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back for you. I'm not just going to leave you to your own vices, even though he sends us the Holy Spirit and that's not taking place. But Jesus is coming back. And now in in the modern day church, we would call this the second coming. Jesus return in glory to earth. Now his return is, it's a truth that is very central to our faith. It's very uh, important in case you didn't know. It actually, it means something because it's part of the big picture that God is painting. It's part of the big picture of redemption and salvation. And so because of that, it's important for us to understand it. And as it is with any truth of the Bible, it's important for us to have a correct understanding of what it means that Jesus is returning. And I get to have a lot of conversations with people in in my line of work. And um, I found that, that for many times... We can ask questions of people, and by the questions that we ask and the answers that they give, we can begin to understand where they are in the context of of faith, of of at least Christian faith. And so the, the standard questions we like to ask is, you know, well, what do you think about Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? What do you think Jesus did on the cross? Is he? The, do you believe he's the Son of God? Do you believe he really is God? But as we ask those questions, I found that people, people can give the right answers. People know this, this Jesus guy. They can, they can tell us some of the stories. Sometimes they even know the correct answers, but they, but they lack any real relationship with him. So they can just kind of regurgitate, yeah, I know who Jesus is. Yeah, I believe in Jesus, and, and, and just kind of go from there. But sometimes I wonder if we can ask better questions, especially in light of these verses, especially in light of what we been talking about over these last few weeks. Are there better questions to ask that can get beyond just the, the, the superficial Sunday school answer? Maybe we can just simply ask, you know, what's your take on what's happening in the world today? What's, what's your reaction to it? Are you surprised by it? Are you, are you nervous by it? Are you, are you anxious by it? What's it do when you're watching the news to your insides? Does it stress you out? Is what's happening in the world today, does it fit into your worldview or to your philosophies of life? Does it fit into what you believe faith is about? Or do the events of the world completely run contrary to how you think this whole thing should be playing itself out? Those are much deeper questions that get to the core of what people believe. When they begin to answer those questions, you'll be able to see what they've put their faith in and where they've put their faith. 
do they have a biblical understanding of God? Do they have a biblical understanding of Jesus and how that all relates to what's taking place in the world, how that relates to their place in the world, to how that relates to who God is in their life? When people come face to face with the reality of things that are happening around them, we can see their reaction. When we come face to face, you should be aware of your own reaction because it's a, it's a telltale sign of, of what you believe about God, of who you think God is. And, and, and for some, we, there's, a, there's a biblical understanding. And for others, there's a misunderstanding of the biblical understanding. And for others, they just, they just have no real God foundation at all. Sometimes when we talk about this whole second coming thing, I've been asked the question, you know, is it really, like, is it really relevant for today? Like Jesus coming back, who knows when? I mean, we've been, we've been talking about it for thousands of years. Is it really relevant for what's going on today? People want a fix for today. They want something for today. G- give them something that's going to help them get through this day. Some far off, distant theology, eschatology, whatever, whatever word you want to use. I mean, that's all well and good to study and maybe to, to uh, have debates about and discussions about, but... Get me through the six o'clock news tonight. That's what I want. That's what, that's what I need. And so the son of God coming back in the future, I mean, that's all well and good, but, but what about now? What, about, what are you going to give me for now? And if that's the understanding, and that's the only understanding of the gospel or the Bible, then that's, that's a misunderstanding of the gospel. And that posture sometimes is within the church itself. And it's definitely outside of the church. There seems to be this stream of thought within the Christian churches that Christianity is a, is a moral, ethical, social type teaching. And it needs to be applied to our life. We are to take these principles and we are to apply them to our life. And if we can just get that application correct, if we can get all the be a good person and love people and give to people and and love thy neighbor and and all those things, then maybe, just maybe, if we get enough of people doing that, then the world will start to change and we can sail this ship into much calmer waters. And, and, And it will get better. But what I've found is when we make it just about this applying principles to our life thing, people become disillusioned because they just can't seem to live up to the principle. They just can't seem to behave good enough. We, we all know that we ebb and flow. Sometimes we have good days. Sometimes we have bad days. Sometimes we love and hug our children. And sometimes we kick the puppy. We ebb and flow in that, and that's the reality. And if you go through a time where you kicked enough puppies, you know, this God thing's just not working for me. You know how many times I've heard, I've tried Christianity, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work for me. I've tried Christianity. See, this, this, this behavior modification posture in the, is, is within the church, and, and it's outside the church. It's become a stumbling block for people. And it's become a stumbling block for people to, to come alongside and desire an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Because they've been told you have to meet this standard. And it's, 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 it's unbiblical. But people have said, you know, you Christians, you've been teaching this thing for 2,000 2, years and nothing has changed. Things haven't gotten better. 
And in fact, the world seems to be getting a little worse. Things have been getting, uh, falling apart a little bit more intensely. And so if God, if this Christian thing is supposed to fix things, then maybe it's a good idea that God might want to start and get on, you know, start working those things out now. And people will begin to fall away from that faith because it's not what the Bible teaches. The gospel is not a self-help program. The gospel is not something that we take, we try to implement into our lives. It's not the magic pill of behavior that's going to make, our, make us just be uh, uber good people all of the time. And yes, there's transformation that takes place for those who press into Christ, but it's not, it's not about application. It really is about transformation, and God does the transforming. The Holy Spirit does the transforming. Not us trying to behave ourselves into God's good graces. And so the whole truth of Jesus coming back is, is relevant for today. Because it speaks directly into the world, into the brokenness, into the pain, and into the people that are experiencing that brokenness and pain. It is relevant for today. These verses, Jesus says, okay guys, listen, I'm leaving. The, 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 even the, the chapter before it, I'm leaving I'm going to die. And then he goes right back into, but I'm coming back. There's, there's nothing in between. He doesn't talk about anything of the in-between of, of, him, of him leaving and him coming back. But we know the in-between. We are experiencing the in-between. We know the brokenness of, of history and how history is, has played itself out and how the future really looks. When Scripture talks about the world's it doesn't really leave a lot to the imagination. Scripture pretty much tells us this. The world's broken. Go figure, right? But not like flat tire broken. Like I just hit a wall at 120 miles an hour broken. And the wall that we hit is sin. The wall that we've hit is sin. It's found its way deep into the very fabric of all of creation. So much so that this point in history is controlled by Sin. This point in history, the scriptures teach us, are controlled, are under the control of this dude called the evil one. Satan. The devil. Many words to describe him. And there are some schools of thought that, that don't believe that, that there is a devil or there is Satan. And I'm saying, man, just, just take a look around. Take a look around at what's happening in the world. Notice how this is kind of all just unfolding and try to explain that away. Try to philosophize that. Try to figure out why this is all happening. And, and, and I believe those arguments eventually hit a wall because they just can't go further. There are forces in this world that we cannot see. There are, there's a spiritual realm that, that has inherent evil in it. And yes, there is good, but there is inherent evil that, that we just don't notice. And that evil controls people, influences people, thoughts, actions, and especially their hearts. I mean, if you want to be honest, take a look at your own heart. I know that's a scary thing to do sometimes. But if you really honestly look at your own heart, you will see that there's, there's darkness in every heart. God lives in unapproachable light. 
the scriptures tell us. There is no darkness in him. And in the beginning, God said, let's make some people, let's make them in our image. And when we were created in the garden that day, God looked and said, man, that's, that's good. And at the end of creation, he looks at the whole thing. He's like, whew, this is very, this is very good. But today, it just doesn't seem that good anymore. The evil one has his grips into the world, and, and it's kind of ridiculous to think that we're just going to pry his hands away and we're going to fix it. Like I said last week, we're never going to have world peace because the world rejects Jesus. I mean, at least at this point in our history. And rejection of Jesus is sin. And that's the problem, sin. And we can't fix sin. And so anyone who knows the Bible, anyone who, who presses into the word of God should not be surprised at the things that are taking place in the world today. It just shouldn't surprise us. And that doesn't mean that we're not pained by it. That doesn't mean we don't have concerns. That doesn't mean that, that we, we, don't, we, we can't cry over the brokenness and, and people dying. I mean, we should. But we shouldn't really be surprised. Don't think for a moment that God has lost anything. God is still in control. But we're not going to evolve our way back to the garden and if people think all they have to do is apply some principles to their life, some biblical things, and the generations will get better and better and better over time, it's, it's a lie because the scripture teaches much differently. I mean, what did Jesus say? You're going to hear about wars, and you're going to hear about rumors of war. Maybe that's why the scripture is so unpopular today, because it kind of speaks to the truth. Human progress cannot deal with or answer the question of evil. Human progress cannot deal with or answer the question of evil that's in the world. We have our theories, we have our principles, we have our philosophies, but we still can't really come to that point of going, oh, this is why, let's just fix it. There's a myth of progress for humanity. And, and yes, human progress has given us some amazing things. I mean, just look at the iPhone 6. Come on. And so we have, we have done great things with, with this idea of progress. But we are not going to evolve ourselves out of the brokenness that's in the world. Because human progress has given us every single war that has taken place throughout the centuries. Human progress has given us Rwanda. Human progress has given us the Holocaust and Hiroshima and ISIS. Those are some of the negative things that our progress has given the world. And so philosophers and evolutionists, they, they, they tr and, and even the self-help movement a little bit, tries to uh, be so optimistic that we can rise above and, and enter into a, a higher plane. But the, the picture of history paints a very different picture. And optimism is a good thing. We need to be optimistic. We need to put the smile on our face. We need to have a positive attitude. But be optimistic about the right things. And not just a pie in the sky idea. As long as there is lust and greed 
and, and, and envy in the human heart, there's always going to be brokenness in this world. As long as the human heart, one human heart, is willing to pick a fight with its neighbor, there will always be war. Aren't you glad you came to church today? What we see happening in the world is, is really uh, the human heart expressing itself because there is sin. The condition of the world is the condition of the human heart, and the condition of the human heart is the condition of sin. But, but uh, let, me, let me say this, that, that human history is, according to the Bible anyway, is moving toward the day that God says, enough! One day God will say, enough, and his justice will prevail. And yeah, sin has messed things up, but God has not abandoned us. And, and you know, and, and I've been thinking about the phrase that I use this a lot, that God wins. But, but that, that almost has the flavor that, that God at some point is losing. God is never losing. He's always winning. And so one day his justice will prevail. His plan is to redeem this whole mess. It all gets fixed. It all gets cleaned up. And he will establish his heaven. His, I'm sorry. He will establish his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. And this kingdom will have no end. He sent Jesus to save us into that kingdom. Jesus is God's grace expressed here on earth as it is in heaven. Paul writes in Galatians 1 that Jesus came to deliver us from this present day of evil. Now, please understand, um, this doesn't mean that uh, we just get to check out. See, how we live today, it, it matters. It really does matter. The things that we do today matters. The words that we speak today, they matter. They matter to God. But what I'm saying is the eternal far outweighs the temporary. The eternal far outweighs what is, what is temporary. And my relationship with God, your relationship with God, people, their relationship with God is the single most important thing that a human being can focus on. It nurtures the imperishable within us. It nurtures our own soul. And our soul will live on in eternity. And so when we tend to our soul in the context of the sacredness of the gospel and the holiness of God, then we are entering into God's stream of redemptive history. A history that's it's going somewhere. It's moving towards the redeeming of everything. It moves us towards a new world, a redeemed world where justice healing and hope it's god's future is already moving forward and it's meeting us here in the presence we live in the kingdom that's at hand but we long for the day when the kingdom comes in its fruition the kingdom come and so you see the gospel message is a message that goes way beyond some moral social uh, list of rules that we need to apply to ourselves it goes way beyond just trying to live out Sermon on the Mount. It goes way beyond just trying to live out the Ten Commandments. I would, I would challenge you to, to, to live this week just one of the Ten Commandments. See how you do. People say, oh, I haven't killed anybody. Yeah, look at the New Testament teaching about what, how you are endangered of the fires of hell that Jesus talks about. And tell me you haven't killed I think the Ten Commandments were, I believe the Ten Commandments were given to us 
so we know that we can't even be on the JV team. And that we need a Savior. And the gospel and Jesus coming back, it's part of the same story. It's the completion of the story because his return makes all things new. His return is the only hope that this world has. And when the kingdom of God collides with the kingdom of the world, I have to say it, but God wins. God wins. And in that moment, in that moment, there will be judgment. I mean, that's how the world is set right. There will be judgment. And I know we don't like to talk about judgment. It scares us, judgment. Judgment, that whole word has this negative connotation to it. But God's judgment should be celebrated by the church. God's judgment should should make us excited. We should be longing for the day that Jesus returns and, and he judges. Because we have a world that's full of deliberate injustice and violence and arrogance and oppression. And the day that, that God comes and puts an end to all of that, man, that's a good day. That's a very good day. When the, the day that when the poor and the weak are no longer marginalized and they're given a fair shake, they're given a fair hand, that's, that's a good day. See, a good God must be a God of justice must be a God of judgment. It's not a bad thing. We are not judged on our own merits. We are judged on the merits of Jesus Christ. Over and over again, we see in the scripture that the Messiah is God's agent to bring the entire world back to the garden. Back to when when. Work had meaning, and it wasn't this toil thing that you hate to do every morning. Back to, you know, and this, I, I'm just speculating because I really don't know, but back, I mean, I'm going to be an awesome preacher in the kingdom to come, man. A world of justice and hope. And love. Yeah, I really believe that God is longing for that to be again. But as we looked at the verse this morning that we meditated on, He's patient, He's waiting. His desire is that none would perish. I think that's a world that all of us are longing for. Even, even creation is groaning and moaning to see that day. And when Jesus returns, He doesn't come as some vengeful, vengeful, arrogant tyrant, He's the man of sorrows. Jesus, he came to die for sinners. He came to give his life as a ransom for many. But saying that, he will bring wickedness to task. He will call it out. And wickedness in the Bible is those who deny the Father by denying Christ. That's wickedness. That's what will come. That's what he will hold people accountable to. Did you deny the Father by denying the Son? And yeah, we live in this world, you know, and I'm, I'm going to tell you, and please hear me, everything that we do has meaning, purpose. Everything that we do in this world has meaning and purpose. 
everything that we do in faith and hope and love out of the love and obedience that we have for the Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit is sacred and holy and eternal. And, and, and some, somehow when, when Jesus comes again, those things, our lives will be somehow transformed. Those things will be enhanced in the kingdom that is to come. I believe that's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 3. Um, it's like verses 10 through 17. He talks about the builder and the work of the builder. That those things, they have meaning. How you live today has meaning. So the world today is in decay and it's in brokenness. And we are all broken right along with it. But God redeems the entire thing. And Easter morning, that first Easter morning, that was the beginning. That was the, uh, I could imagine the, 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 the stone rolling away. It was the burst of God's creative healing energy. As he begins to put it all back together again. In that final moment, that final moment when Jesus returns and he joins heaven and earth together. And that kingdom will have no end. What it says in in Galatians, I'm sorry, Revelations. At the end, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. In chapter 22, it says, And the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse, which speaks all the way back to Genesis 3. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp, or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is what the second coming of Jesus ushers in. And so church, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Jesus. In his Father's house, 
his many rooms. If it wasn't so, he would never have told us. And he, would, he wouldn't have told us he's going there to prepare a place for us. And if he goes to prepare a place for us, he is going to come back. And he's going to take us there to be with him forever and ever. Amen. Father, I want to thank you for the encouragement of your word and how you, you haven't left us, you haven't forsaken us. And we have the hope of the return of Jesus. But right now, Lord, you've put us in this place to live in this, this time, this generation. I pray that we would look at our lives as something that's sacred and holy and that we would live our lives as best that we can in the power and the anointing of the Spirit and sacredness and holiness. I pray these things in the name of our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Amen. I love you guys. I'll see you next week.